Song of Solomon, chapter 6 through 8, as we end tonight. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, for thank you, Star, for at least acknowledging that I will uh, uh, complete a task. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Star has been telling me recently how much we have in common, and I've been laughing. So thank you, Star, for at least having some humor there. In the back, I uh, I owe you uh, about a hundred, right, uh, for doing that. So, Song of Solomon, chapter six. Let's dive into it. Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? And where has your beloved turned aside that we might seek him with you? For my beloved has gone to his garden, to the bed of spices, to feed his flock in the garden. And to gather lilies, for I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for our night. And Lord, we just thank you for those serving in youth ministry, Lord, and children's ministry. And that, Father, we would hear from you tonight through your word again. And Lord, that you would just bless those who can't be with us. And Father, for those listening over our radio station. So Lord, we thank you. We love you, and we, we love your word, Lord, and we love all of it, all 66 books. So spend time with us tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we left off uh, with the Shulamite, the beloved, uh, giving praise to her husband. Remember that he had, uh, they had kind of gone back and forth, but there was no a lengthy section where uh, she had been praising him um, excuse me, for who he was, uh, she was calling him basically <laughs> a stud, uh, and you can go back and listen to that, look at that, and so that takes us then into chapter 6, where it would seem that uh, he is away, and he is away attending, um, as we will see, his garden. Now, I know that we've talked about uh, how the imagery is with the garden and how that applied to her and to her sexuality, but not in this case. And I just want to say right off the bat tonight, uh, these three chapters, the ending three chapters, are the most in contention far as what do they mean. Uh, because there are a lot of uh, holes in there, a lot of commentaries, a lot of people are like, we got no idea. Uh, so when we get to heaven, in, enjoy your time speaking to the Shulamite uh, and to Solomon, like what were those chapters about? So we'll do our best to go through, but uh, good to note too, because uh, as we will see in marriage, different things that happen in life, and one of them is separation, uh, be it as we will see Solomon doing business work. What does that look like? And so we pick it up in verse 1. And, and so uh, uh, the third party in our play, the daughters of Jerusalem, they always come in every once in a while. And so they say, where is your beloved gone, O fairest among women? And where has your beloved turned aside that we might seek him with you? And so she uh, chimes in in verse 2 and says, my beloved has gone to his garden to the bed of spices to feed his flock in the garden and to gather lilies 
for I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flocks among the lilies. So the separation here is because of him attending to some kind of business. Uh, it would seem uh, in his gardens. Remember, Solomon is an amazing builder. He uh, has got all of these different projects all around the country. I mean, his horse stables, the horse stables were grand and huge. And so uh, he loved to be a builder. And you can imagine that he would have been gone a lot, uh, especially during these building times. And so in verse uh, 3, she reiterates again that he is hers again. And um, so they have this uh, beautiful connection. We, we talked about how that ring uh, ties together the man and the woman, and we'll see that even at the end tonight as she talks about and declares uh, a contract. And so finally, uh, they come back together. Notice in verse 4, Oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Tirza, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome uh, as an army with banners. And so he comes back uh, now, and uh, we're going to see that he... Uh, continues to affirm to her his delight in his bride. And so he starts out by saying that uh, she is as beautiful as Tirza, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army of banners. And then he goes into his favorite area of uh, smoozing his wife and building her up with um, visions of goats. And uh, <laughs> again, pretty awesome back then. Apparently, these were some of the things that uh, they did. Uh, maybe you have your different terms of endearment. Uh, men, I don't uh, recommend these at all to you. Uh, so let's <laughs> turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me, and your hair is like a flock of goats going down to Gilead, and your teeth are like the flock of sheep which have come up from the washing. Everyone, <laughs> everyone bears twins, and none is barren among them. And so he describes her, as we will see uh, in another chapter, he describes her from her toes on up. And so uh, this one, he is going from the head down. He said, like a piece of pomegranate, your temples behind your veil. Uh, and again, the color of red. And then he says in verse 8, <clears throat> For there are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. Now, a uh, lot of debate of what that is. Is this starting to tell us that he already had a harem before he uh, had this relationship with the Shulamite? Just so you know, nobody knows. Is he saying that um, this is, is he looking uh, forward to the idea, and by the way, he knows what his father had, and he knows what a king it, uh, has. A king has wives that um, uh, they bridge between two different countries and kingdoms, and that's how you made alliances back then. Is he thinking about that? He is lifting her up as, as we will see, the only one. Is it possible? Because... Um, in the beginning, when we were talking about how uh, we were setting the foundation for the Song of Solomon, that probably this was his first wife. 
Now, that could be, or it could be <laughs> that, uh, that he has 60 queens already and 80 concubines. <sighs> uh, does that matter uh, for us tonight? Absolutely not. Let's move on. Let's get back to the pomegranates. <clears throat> Verse 9, he says, my dove, my perfect one. So it, it is possible that he actually uh, has the 60 queens and 80 concubines to this, this time, and then he calls her out as the perfect one, the only one, and the, the only one of her mother, and the favorable one of whom bore her. And he says that the daughters saw her and called her blessed, and the queens and the concubines, and that they praised her. And it is possible uh, that they praise her because of his attention towards her. Who is she who looks forth as the morning and fair as the moon, clear as the sun and awesome and army with banners? For I went down to the garden of nuts to see... <laughs> Dad, hold on, people. <laughs> it's not what you think. <laughs> to see uh, the verdure of the valley, to see whether the, the uh, vine had budded and the pomegranates had blossomed. So he is describing what he had just done uh, back in the previous verses where he was gone. So he is inspecting, he is telling her that. We had seen this before where spring had come and he was uh, declaring to her, hey, spring is club, let's, let's go out into the... Uh, field and into the countryside, and so he he's just telling her um, to see whether or not the vine had budded and the pomegranates had bloomed. For before I was even aware, my soul had made me in the chariots of my noble people. And then in verse 13, he says, Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we might look upon you. What would you see in the Shulamite, as it were, the dance of two camps. Now, the end of that, uh, we're really not sure what that means, the dance of two camps. Don't you love it when it's just so murky? You, you just don't. There are two uh, uh, thoughts on this because in verse 1, we're going to see in chapter 7 him uh, describing her again. It is possible that this is a festival, uh, and remember, the Jews had lots of festivals. And it could be that uh, this is a festival where she's out dancing. The other option is to think that now this is a private dance inside of their bedroom. All right, I'm just trying to think of the right words here. So verse 1, let's pick it up in verse 7. How beautiful are your feet in sandals. So he's going to start from the feet and go up. O prince's daughter... The curves of your thighs are like jewels and the work of the hands of skillful workmen. And your navel is like a round goblet and it lacks no blended beverage. Your waist is a heap of wheat set about your lily. So if you're taking note, again, maybe some of these you shouldn't be using as terms of endearment. Honey, your waist is like wheat, <laughs> like a bunch of wheat. <laughs> he says in verse 3, for your two breasts are like the two fawns, twins of gazelle. So he's going from the bottom to the top now. 
And he says, your neck is like an ivory tower, and your eyes are like the pool of Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rabim, and your nose (laughs) is like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. I would just say be careful of what you say about your wife's body parts there. Apparently, she was enamored by the uh, the way that he spoke. And verse 5 says, Your head crowned like Mount Carmel, and your head, or your hair, is like the head is like a purple of royalty. For a king is held captive by your tresses. And how fair and how pleasant you are, O love, with your delights. And the idea is of... Uh, what he sees in front of him. For the statue is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. And so, again, Solomon saying, I said, I will go up to the palm tree, and I will take hold of its branches. Uh, Let now your breast be like a cluster of vine, and the fragrance of your breath like apple. So verse 8, he describes that uh, she would be a refreshment to him, verse 9, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine, and the wine that goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of the sleepers, for I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. So all of this imagery pushing uh, from him being gone away Uh, And then whatever that dance was, uh, be it a festival or private, he realizes that. He compliments her from the foot on up. And then it would seem uh, that they they come together again, verses 8 through 10. Now, notice what she does in verse 11. And she encourages and she says, Come, my beloved, and let us go forth to the field and let us lodge in the villages. So because of the separation, she wants to get out. Uh, And so she says in verse 12, Let us get up early to the vineyard and let us see if the vine has budded, whether the grape uh, blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in." In bloom, and there I will give you my love. So, um, the Shulamite, Mrs. Solomon, (laughs) she was refreshingly honest here, and she uh, talks about again her beloved, and she says to him, she wants to get away with him to the countryside, and that they would have relations again. Uh, All of this, as we will see. Uh, uh, through the book of uh, the Song of Solomon um, is quite a journey of freedom and joy uh, with the two of them. Um, Sexual intimacy was not understood to be not just the husband's pleasure and the wife's duty, but through this book and through the Song of Solomon, we show uh, that the marital love can be on both sides. Side. So not just male and female, but they are both encouraged and they are both encouraged to take pleasure in it and that they celebrate it. Let me read to you from um, an old commentary. It said, the Song of Solomon teaches that true freedom does not come by someone 
by someone becoming liberated from marriage. Quite the opposite, they said. The truth is that genuine liberation comes in marriage. Boy, is that the difference in our society today? What do we hear today? And we see the decline uh, of not only marriage, but also, I know this is shocking, I was listening uh, (laughs) to the great orator Elon Musk this week. You know how he could be just a great. And they asked him, what's the greatest danger in the United States of America? You know what he said? The decline of birth rate. And I thought, man, this guy not only makes rockets, but he is also paying attention uh, to a simple thing like birth rate. And you have, again, this so-called liberation that we have come out of the 60s and we're, we're, we're better because of it and because we've talked about it and there's classes in universities and all of that. And what the Bible would say is this. Let me go back to this quote. That the truth is that genuine liberation comes through marriage and in marriage. Marriage is a secure hedge that protects love as it grows. And as love is matured, it produces freedom and fulfillment. This is what the Bible says instead of what the world would say. The world would say, no, 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 you have fulfillment outside. You have freedom outside. You have liberation outside. Everything is outside of what God has called it to be. And there is a danger in that. Remember, I keep using this illustration of the marriage bed and of sex inside of the firebox of the fireplace. You know, it's great there, but when the log rolls out, not a good idea, right? It can burn down the house. So it's a, it's a perfect place to have inside. Again, as love matures, the writer says, it produces freedom and fulfillment. So true liberation is inside of marriage, not outside. So uh, when you've got people who have taken whatever course and study at a college or whatever book they want to give you and they say, no, 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 this is liberation outside. This is, this is, it should be expressed. And the Bible knows nothing of that. It only knows the bonds inside of marriage. And so she says at the end of verse 12 there, therefore I will give you my love. And then in verse 13, she brings in some sweets and some cakes. The mandrakes give off a fragrance And at our gates are pleasant fruits in all manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. So she sets, again, aside time as well as it would seem kind of like cakes. Um, And again, these are all aphrodisiacs in that day, the mandrakes as well as the fruits. Chapter 8. Look, we're doing really good. We might end early tonight. Chapter 8, oh, that you were my brother who nursed at my mother's breast. And if I should find you outside, I would kiss you and I would not be despised. Now, um, please don't think that verse 1 is anything, something weird that she is saying. She is just simply saying she wished, she wished that she had n- known him earlier on in her life. Verse 2 says, I would lead you and I would bring you into the house of my mother. 
And she who used to instruct me, I would cause you to drink of the spiced wine and of the the juice of my pomegranate. So verse 2 is quite interesting because she now tells us where she had been instructed on uh, intimate relations. Did you see that? Let me read it again. I would lead you and bring you into the house uh, of my mother, for she who used to instruct me. Now, with no show of hands, uh, how many of you got instruction from your parents on this? We call it the birds and the bees, right? Most parents do not. Uh, I encourage you, if it is a difficult topic, because uh, it's not, it is, uh, especially with young kids, we have material out there. Wendy, what is it called? A passport to Purity. Got it. And there is a male and a female book out there. And um, we did this with all of our kids. It is where you take your uh, whatever age you determine, hopefully not 35, at 12 or 13, and you take them away for a couple of days, and you go through this audio book with them and this series with them, and what's great about it is they talk about the difficult topics, but you share with them, they do a little book work, and it becomes, again, a passport to purity, and we have plenty of those in our bookstore. In fact, in the uh, description of the video tonight, I will put a link so that you will be able to find that passport to purity. It is a great way for you as a parent in a difficult topic to instruct your young uh, uh, son or daughter in the ways um, that she was instructed by her parent. Uh, I say this, the government's got no business doing this. The school district has no business doing that. It's not their job. I don't know if you figured this out. Maybe I'm the only one. I I really think we should be teaching them reading, writing, and arithmetic like we used to. And then we throw in some Bible there. All of this other stuff is just nonsense. Uh, The the school district has nothing to do with, with their reproductive. That is a family issue and a family issue only. Guys, it is getting so crazy out there. These poor kids who are being uh, groomed, and I am so glad this young woman has the courage finally to come out and bring a lawsuit against uh, a hospital system. Uh, Kaiser Permanente is being sued because she uh, uh, had a transition surgery at 15 years old. And so she is suing the hospital system and the doctor and... I was, I was listening to it. The guy was saying, is, uh, hopefully she's suing her parents too because that's child abuse. You know, we talk about all this child abuse, but we're, we're transitioning kids who don't even know, what they're, you know what's going on. And so hopefully uh, that case will be blo- blown wide open and a lot of this will just stop because I need you to hear this. It has nothing to, they don't care about the individual. It is a money-making machine. Just like the drug companies, it has nothing to do with them caring about who they are. Because I don't know about you, but kids, I mean, you know, a five-year-old cannot tell you who they are. They think they're a truck. (laughs) I'm a dog. 
You cannot, I, I literally, if I hear another expert say that a five-year-old can tell you who they are, I'm going to tell you that expert doesn't know who they are. And again, this belongs at home, and it belongs with the instruction of the parent and the parents only. Nobody else needs to be in your family business when it comes to that. And the Shulamite says, she who used to instruct me. Verse 3, now, now we're back into the scene. And again, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. Again, this was, we saw this earlier, an embrace of the two of them in an intimate setting. She uh, uh, instructing him where to hold her. <clears throat> and then in verse 4, says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up or awaken until love pleases. So about the third time, I think that we have heard this, third or fourth time, that we've heard the daughters of Jerusalem, that third uh, uh, party in the play, and they come in and they give a great statement. Again, I encourage you to underline this or highlight this for you. And if you are young and not married, this is a great verse for you. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The idea is that don't go searching for something uh, that is not already in the bonds of marriage. Verse 5. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? For I awaken you under the apple tree, and there your mother brought you forth, and there she who bore you brought you forth. Now set a seal upon your heart and a seal upon your arm for love is strong as death and jealousy as cruel as the grave and its flames are flames of fire and a vehement flame so she now describes a seal and we talked about that uh, for our period uh, the ring that we have but making a covenant set a seal excuse me upon um upon your heart, and a seal upon your arm, a visible sign that they belong to somebody else. And so it was quite clear uh, to them in that day, if somebody was coming towards her or to Solomon, they would know that they were spoken for. But she goes on and she says, for love is as strong as death. What do we say at the altar? To death do us part to take the vow before God seriously. For love is as strong as death. And then she says, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Again, it's hard to know exactly what is meant here, positive or negative. Again, jealousy uh, can be a good and appropriate thing in a marriage relationship. But there is also another aspect of jealousy that can be corrosive and destructive as well so it can be a good thing and a bad thing when it goes to the bad thing it can be destructive inside of a relationship or it can be uh, very possible as she is talking about a good thing and then she says uh, it's flames or a flame of fire a most vehement flame she says that many waters cannot quench love nor can the floods drown it. And if a man would give, or I'm sorry, if a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, 
it would be utterly despised. <clears throat> so she makes this declaration, not only death do us part, but she says that nothing can quench their love. Now, that's good because as we've seen through their little relationship, uh, possibly some time has, has elapsed through here. No matter what uh, external or internal issues, um, that flame, because it is, um, let me go back, because it is, verse 6, a seal and a covenant that it cannot be extinguished. In God's eyes, it cannot be extinguished. Therefore, in our eyes, it should be the same. Verse 8. Now, uh, the brothers come back into the scene. For we have a little sister, and she has no breasts. And what shall we do for our sister in the day <clears throat> when she is spoken for? So we saw this earlier on, right before the wedding, how they were describing that they had protected her. They'll say it again, we've put a wall around. Now, I know what you, maybe you didn't think about this the first time, or you were thinking about it. You were thinking, well, isn't that the father's job? Isn't it the papa's job to be the protector? Well, it's very possible that the papa is gone, but I like that the brothers take the responsibility of protecting their sister. Amen. So there is that built-in protection uh, from the outside. And notice what they say, for in the day when uh, she is spoken for. For if she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. And if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. Again, the wealth and the, the privilege that they have but also they are de describing uh, the virtue and the um, value of her virginity and protecting her. And so they're doing everything to protect her uh, from the outside. Verse 10, she says, I am a wall, and she describes what she has done as well. And my breasts are like a tower, and then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. So she describes, uh, uh, they, the brothers described protecting her. And now, as we saw earlier, the wedding, they came together. And so she says that she did her part in her protecting her, her worth. But then she says in verse 10, and then I became in his eyes. So now she has given herself over to him as one who found peace. She declares that she is peace to him because of that. Verse 11. <clears throat> For Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman, and he leased the vineyard to keepers, and everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand coins. Um. I remember earlier in the beginning, I said there were some passages that we have no idea what they're talking about. Right here. Um, we don't know what she's declaring um, or he is declaring, but in verse 12, my own vineyard is before me. So she describes something about Solomon in verse 11, but then she comes back in verse 12 and says, for my own vineyard is before me, you, O Solomon, may have a thousand, 
and those who tend its fruit 200. Now, again, remember that illustration back to the queens and the concubines? So it is possible that she says, listen, I know that you have the pick of the litter out there, right? He is the king, and he could have thousands upon thousands of, of women But she says, my own vineyard is before you. And you may have a thousand and those who tend to it, 200. And you who dwell in the gardens, the companions listen for your voice. Let me hear it. So she wants him to pick her above the thousands. And again, she declares the worth, the the silver coins and all of that. And so she says, let me hear it. And then in verse uh, 14, lastly, and, and then it just ends. <laughs> As it, so many times in the Bible, just, uh, that's a fine how you do. And uh, make haste, my beloved, she says. So she wants him back. And she says, and be like a gazelle, a young stag on the mountains of spices. And so she wants him to come together again, their intimacy uh, and their sexual union. So, um, well, that's it. That literally is how it ends. You know, it's like that book you're reading and you're like, oh, what's the next chapter going to... No, just ends. Just ends. Is it possible after this point now that he goes into and has all of these wives and has all of these concubines? It is very possible because it, it literally just ends. Well, where are we going from here? Uh, I have decided that we needed to uh, finish. Um, again, we're in the uh, Old Testament on Sunday. We're going through the Minor Prophets. And so we have two more Gospels to finish up before we finish through the Bible series number three. So read ahead next week on Wednesday night, we start in the book of Mark. So the Gospel of Mark for next week, read ahead in chapter one. I love Mark. It is the Reader's Digest Gospel version. He kind of compacts it down. And I don't know about you, but in this age, uh, it works very well. So read ahead chapter 1 for Mark for next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again uh, for the book 